happy horror borealis day. Good morning. Oh, is it? It's well because we're recording now, and oh. then when people are listening, it'll be horror borealis day for them because it'll be releasing. So oh, yeah. that's mm. kind of exciting. That makes a certain kind of sense. Yeah, I thought it did too. Yeah. Uh, it's been a while since we've played. Yeah. Feels like we haven't played since last year. Good was joke. That, was that good for anybody here? Not really. Maybe not. No. That's a joke that also probably won't line up once this episode finally makes it into the one-shot rotation. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah, oops. Well, maybe, um, depending. Yeah. For anybody who missed it, we're on one-shot now. Yeah. Hooray. Yeah, we are. So that's, that's exciting. Cool. That's a thing. That's a cool yeah, thing. Yeah, we're, we're big stars. We're going to make it in radio. Yeah. Um, so yeah, do you guys remember where we were last time we, we played? Just we just got, got out back of the woods. Yeah, we just got yeah. back to the ranger station. Yeah. Yep, so we finished the hide-and-seek arc, which was long and very stressful. <laughs> and you guys made it back um, after some sort of psychic altercation with unseen forces. Um, and then that's where you are now. You're back in town. Things are not necessarily great, but you're all safe. You're all here. You're all warm and cozy. Any questions before we start? I don't think so. Uh, I don't think so. What's okay. Adam Kennedy's favorite color? What's his favorite color? Uh-huh. That's actually a good um, question. I feel like it's deep green, mm. but um, he also probably actually likes pink because it's Daisy's favorite color. So Aww. That's real sweet. So, there's a little piece of trivia for you. Thanks. For anybody wondering at home. I was. Um, any other questions? Any, like, plot-relevant questions or, like, memory questions? Well, I'm pretty sure that was a very plot-heavy question, and I'm glad that I It was really big. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that we finally cleared that up. I know everyone's been on the edge of their seat with that one. Yeah. I know <laughs> Everyone I have. has had that question and no others about the plot of this podcast. <laughs> hey, so this is totally not relevant at all, um, uh-huh. and I hope that's okay, but guys? Yeah? Yeah? I just changed my Fortnite name to Yeet Blaster 420. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, so, so now you'll fit in with all the cool kids on Fortnite. Uh-huh. I sure will. <laughs> wow, your Fortnite cred just skyrocketed. It yeah, did. So hit me up on, now uh, you if can, you're listening. You can just yeet all over the 16-year-olds. Don't, don't actually. Um, if, if I know you, like, from my work, don't do that. Wait, what is the um, age demographic? Is it 16? Is it like 12? Is it No, it it is about uh probably like 8 to I'd say probably 8 to like 16. Oh, okay. So why are I'm you Fortnite? playing it? Yeah. Cuz he's cool, Tim. Cuz he's a cool last kid. Time you were, last time you were over, we all made Fortnite accounts. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, don't pretend so, you don't know what's up with Fortnite, so Timothy. Off, I feel like I'm the are reason that Are we going to talk about Fortnite, Fortnite or are we going to play now. another game? We're going to play let's, another yeah, game. Yeah, let's play another let's game. Let's play this game. Especially because I feel left out because I've never played Fortnite. Hey, neither have I. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, honestly, same. You just we have an just account. Downloaded for- yeah, we downloaded Fortnite and then did nothing else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Vacation was wild. Okay. Let's get into it. Whew, here we are. Okay, so before we get started, um, this is going to be a fairly backstory-heavy episode. It's Sweet. going to be a lot of, like, um, threading up plot holes, which aren't really plot holes. They're just, like, plot mysteries up until this mm-hmm. point. So a lot of, um, basically, retracing things that have been established before, finally connecting some dots. Um For that reason, I just want to go ahead and throw up like a content warning for you guys on this episode. There will be parts of this information that will be like upsetting probably or stressful or like I don't necessarily want to say triggering, although for some people they might specifically be this is a horror game. So I'm going to try to treat things like, you know, as sensitively as I can, but also understanding that these are answers that are going to come up that are relevant to the world. However... As always, um, we are playing with script change by Brie Sheldon, in effect. So if there is something that upsets you about anything that we establish, do not hesitate to stop me and say, I don't want that to be a part of the lore of this world. Okay? Okay. okay. So it, it does not matter. Like, yes, there are things in like this backstory that I have been weaving for like weeks and months. But if any part of it is a part of a world that you do not want to play in, 
like, do not feel any guilt or hesitation whatsoever about saying, that doesn't work for me. Let's figure something else out. Okay? Yeah. You got it, chief. Mm-hmm. I just want to make sure there's, like, no guilt involved. Because this is, like, ultimately a game that we're all playing in a world that we're all inhabiting together. And there is absolutely no amount of time I could put into, like, crafting my ideal story that would make it okay for any of that to be uncomfortable for you guys. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. We got it. Cool. You're an amazing person. Oh, thanks. You're well, welcome. Now that you've said that, I guess <laughs> we can move on. And uh, don't interrupt me. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, so, okay. <clears throat> Great. This is Winterlude 5. Heck. You got back into town on th- <laughs> the timing. <laughs> I'm oh, bad at I was trying today. to pause for dramatic effect. <laughs> I'm so okay. sorry. Let's try mm, again. Okay. <clears throat> You are you there? So what are we doing? <laughs> Freaking stop it. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I will quit my own podcast. <laughs> you got big into town on Friday afternoon. <laughs> and the rest of that day is a blur of shock blankets and fitful sleep. The ranger station closed for the weekend, as did the library and the tavern, and Saturday passed quietly. The only real news being occasional murmured updates passed along by payphone as Anchorage General Hospital treated one Adam Kennedy for exhaustion and arm injuries sustained in an unfortunate but otherwise unremarkable bear attack. But Sunday comes. It's snowing softly, and what little light seeps through the clouds is a pale and unencouraging gray. It's hard to say if that's a cruel trick of nature or a filter of your own perceptions, but it seems to fit the mood. Today, you get answers, but you're not so sure you're going to like them. And if any kind of light is going to be shed on the situation, it seems only fitting it should be this light. Martha. Hey there. (laughs) Hello. Martha, you wake up to that light streaming through your window, and it takes you a moment to recover where you are as you struggle to hold on to the fragments of a dream you were just having. What were you dreaming about? Um, so this is right after the whole forest thing, right? Yes. Yep. So okay. you guys got back on like Friday afternoon. Friday passed, Saturday passed. This is Sunday morning. I don't know. What was I dreaming about? I don't know. This can be abstract or it can be sort of a flashback sequence if you want it to be, or it can be well, like a nightmare. Maybe it was like real um, minimalist. So I was just dreaming red. Just red? Wow. That <laughs> no. is actually terrifying. Um, <laughs> That's so um, scary. I feel like- okay. I feel like Martha may have been playing back the uh, the whole encounter with that person in the forest. Mm-hmm. Um, like how it kind of, or how they kind of uh, like got into our minds. Sure. And playing yeah. through different scenarios with that. And maybe parts of that are like exaggerated or play out differently in your dream sequence because this is your brain sort of trying to process what exactly has happened to it. And... You are psychic, of course, so you are not totally unfamiliar to the idea of sharing brain spaces with, you know, people and forces, but I think this is the first time that you've ever been directly violated in this way. Right, This is the first time this has ever happened to you. You know, you've had instances where you've tried to tap into something and it's gone poorly for you, but I think this is the first time something else sort of sought you out. Yeah. How does that feel? Uh definitely not like what i expected um yeah it's i mean like what you said it felt violating like i felt like uh part of me that i did not want to share was suddenly opened up to someone that i have no clue who is Mm -hmm. um so it was scary yeah for sure is there any other part of this situation that is standing out in your mind maybe anything else about the circumstances or any way that you were worried it would play out that is now sort of like an alternate scenario in this dreamscape well i feel like like in the dream did it end the way that it ended in real life or did it go somewhere else no i think there may have been multiple uh dreams where you kind of like have a really restless night and you keep going back to the same dream oh yeah it happens differently each time so maybe one time Mm -hmm. uh it did actually happen similar to the way that it did where um 
Martha was able to uh, kind of overpower and like keep control. Maybe there was another time where she lost control. Um, and then maybe a whole nother time where uh, she completely lost control and uh, mm -hmm. ended up hurting people because of it, not necessarily meaning to, but uh, just because that was what this other person was kind of commanding. Yeah, definitely. That's a lot to wake up to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, were there any other images that were troubling you throughout the course of the night, or was it this sort of repetitive scenario over and over and over again? I think that was pretty pretty much it. That was the, the big thing all through the night. Yeah, definitely. Is there anything else about that dream or that moment that you want to explore further, or would you like to move on? Um... I don't know. If there's something interesting in there that you do want to explore, uh, that would be neat. I don't know exactly what uh, Martha would want to explore with that, or what I as a player would want to explore in there. Sure, yeah. It's totally up to you. Dreams are like a really cool sort of beautiful abstract space, both in real life and in games, for sort of picking apart different aspects of things and maybe examining them through a different lens. Um, I'm not going to say that there's anything that you didn't get from that experience that won't be cleared up later throughout the course of this episode. Okay. So um, there's not like anything that I'm going to sort of say, let's take a look at this right now. But if there's anything that you wanted to look at, either to refresh your memory as a player or to get a different angle on it, that would be fine. And this would be a good way to do that. Um, but there's no shortage of material for us to cover today. So I don't feel like you have to fill time. Right. Well, I feel like... Um... You know how, like, cinematically in, like, flashbacks or something like that, uh, mm -hmm. they'll get kind of a different view? I think this is what you're going for. They'll get a different yeah. view of what's happening, or mm -hmm, they'll definitely. be able to uh, see themselves in that situation in, like, a clearer headspace. Um, was there anything that I might have noticed uh, by just dreaming these different scenarios? Uh, you know what? Yeah, let's try this. So... You have this dream a few different times, and no matter where you start out, you always end up back at this moment. And I feel like your dreams, like dreams do, sort of start in different areas or locations or scenarios, some of them not even related to your forest hike. But no matter what happens, they all somehow end up and conclude at this spot in this moment in the forest that your brain is still clearly holding on to and trying to make sense of. And in most of them, it's the same familiar emotions. It's playing out the same way. But in one of these instances, and I think this is the one that you're trying to hold on to as you wake up, the same scenario unfolds and it takes you a moment to realize that it's happening in the third person. So this time you see the forest, you see the snow, you see the aurora borealis stretching across the sky and looking somehow wrong, but you also see Martha. You see you, and you see the other people that were in the forest with you, grappling with this force that's pushing upon them and working inside them. And suddenly you realize that force is you. In this iteration of the dream, you are the psychic intruder. Is there anything you want to do with that? So at this point in time, am I in the dream right now? Am I like making yeah, let's, choices? Let's talk in the about dream? this as if the dream is actively happening. Okay. Um, so in my headspace, am I thinking like this psychic person or am I just Martha? I think this is that weird moment inside a dream where up until now the dream was happening. And of course you didn't have any way of realizing it was a dream, but you have this moment of lucidity where you see yourself and recognize yourself. And it takes a moment because we're not used to seeing ourselves from the outside. And so there's a moment where you don't recognize you and you are fully immersed in that headspace. And then there's that moment of realization. And I think you kind of understand implicitly that you have very limited time before you either wake up or slip back into the dream space in which you are occupying this perspective and aware of occupying this perspective. Okay. Um, can I look around me to see where I am and what kind of things are at this campsite? 
Um, you mean not the campsite where Martha and company were in the forest, but the campsite where the psychic intruder is working from? Right. So the way that you're explaining it is like, yes. I am that person now. Yes. Okay. You were that person seeing the campsite where Martha and company are from a psychic perspective. If you want to try to pull back and look around you and your surroundings, that's fine. You can do that. Yeah, I definitely want to do that. Okay, cool. Go ahead and roll um, roll and investigate a mystery for me. Okay, that is a seven. Okay, so that's a mixed success. I'm trying to think if the questions for investigate a mystery will be the best way to do this, or if I just want to like say that you get a question or just give you some sort of vision here. Give me just one second. Okay. Yeah, I don't think the questions are going to be helpful. I think the best way is just sort of give you a vision and have it be not totally successful as a vision. Okay. So I think you pull back and you sever this connection for a moment just long enough to look around you. And what you see is you see um, sort of a living space. I think you expected it to be a campsite, but it's more permanent than that. And that part of it sort of catches you off guard. It's a structure, almost sort of like a like a cabin. Um, and there are furnishings around you, not necessarily furnishings in like, there's not an armchair and a bed and like, but there are definitely like, there's an area set aside for food preparation. And there is like a little nook with a, a fire running in it. And uh, there are books. There are dozens and dozens of books. And that's all you really have time to make out about your circumstances. You take away that this is a place that a person is and has been for some time occupying. And I think the last thing you notice is you look down at your hands and they're human hands. They're a man's hands. And that's all you get before you wake up from this dream. Okay. Okay. So your thoughts are interrupted by a buzzing sound coming from a small device on your bedside table. Uh, it's a Motorola Tango Pager, which is to say the absolute pinnacle of 1996 technology. Thank you very much. Uh, gifted to you by Ben yesterday, who gave it to you basically under the pretense of saying that he wanted you to have some way of communication if something like this happened again. Um, and this thing can actually receive short text messages, which is amazing for the late 90s. And trust me, I looked all this up earlier. <laughs> it can receive short text messages, which is just frankly incredible. And it can even respond, um, provided you use one of the six pre-programmed phrases that come with it. Nice. So you've got like, okay, or call you soon, or sorry, I'm busy right now, like stuff like that in a meeting. <laughs> um, so right now, yours is displaying Ben's number, followed by the words, good morning, and a colon parentheses combo you don't quite understand. Technology is incredible. Okay. Um, I think Martha kind of jolts awake um, and then takes a deep breath and uh, looks at it and then uh, gets out of bed and goes over and dials Ben's number. Okay. So <laughs> I know this is a constant point of contention. Do you or do you not? Have oh, a phone? right. That's a good question. <laughs> Um, I know this has been established in the lore like several well, dozen times I and think... we never really settle on an answer. <laughs> I think Martha would I thought not it was about Mariah that we didn't know she had a phone. Well, okay. At one point in time, it was established that there wasn't a phone in Martha's house, but there was a pay phone close to Martha's house. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's say that um, I respond back with the, uh, the call you soon. Oh, okay. Um, Great. Um, and then you... After a second, get another message that comes through that just reads, see you at Hawks, question mark. And suddenly you remember what it is that you have to do today. The rest of sleep is shaken from you, and you are reminded that you and the rest of the small coalition that have come to represent the champions of Revenant, keeping mysterious forces at bay, have been promised answers. And it's time to go get them. Okay, then I hurriedly try to send okay, but I think I accidentally do the uh, in a meeting right now. <laughs> in a meeting. <laughs> oh man, very good. Yeah. Yes, I love that. Um, okay, anything else you do before you head over there? Uh, no, I think I'm just going to get ready and uh, head over. Great. Okay, 
Is there anything anybody else wants to establish before we jump into this next part of said winter lewd? Anything that you guys um, really want to establish about how you spent your sort of quiet, like, recovery Saturday or, like, things that you have done since you got back? Is there anything, basically, that you would have accomplished with immediacy when you returned home? I don't think Siobhan would. No. Okay. <clears throat> Mariah? I would probably be trying to, uh, I might try to sort of send word to Isabel in a bit of a more subtle way, but mm -hmm. so considering the last conversation we had, I've now had a little bit more information about, even though I still don't know all that much. Mm -hmm. um, totally. I would probably try so to reach out to her and basically say, uh, need to talk uh, sometime soon. We should do it in person. Okay, I think we did establish, if I'm remembering correctly, according to my notes, um, that you guys had agreed to meet on Monday. Okay, I thought so, but it's I was under the time. impression that, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure she's coming into town on Monday. Got is it. That's what we had decided. Perfect, thank you. So, um, this is Sunday. Is there anything that you did on Friday or Saturday? You still could have sent her an email and basically just been like, don't forget Monday, yes. but... Um, okay, don't forget great. Monday, and then in the meantime, I, uh, pull a, I pull a book... I'm going to inject a little bit of series of unfortunate events uh, fandom oh, here good. and just say I pull the incomplete history of secret societies off of the shelf and I Very good. begin to peruse. Okay. Uh, do you want to do an information check before you go over to Hawks and have this be something that you like spent your Saturday doing? Yes, actually. Or... Let me roll 2d6. Okay, sure. And that's a check on which stat again? It's been so long. I'm sorry. Sharp, right? Um, that would be sharp. Okay, yeah, for great. a research thing, that so would be sharp. So since my sharp is pretty good... Okay, so I rolled mm -hmm. a six, um, and that makes it a nine. Okay, so it makes success. Yeah. Um, so I think, what do you currently know about this society, or what have you, Addison, deduced? I want to make sure I'm giving you new information. I have deduced very little. If you recall, we had kind of a, we hit a bit of a roadblock. Um, mm -hmm. Sure, yeah. When we were doing deduction, I deduced that there is a society. Mm-hmm. And, we live in a society. Uh, and its symbols, mm -hmm. or rather the one symbol that keeps popping up, and sure. have sort of pinned down uh, some of its membership. Agreed, uh, and yes. obviously like the general idea of what it has to do with things outside of the norm, a norm of what is accepted to be real or totally. regular. Okay, so information that you get. Yes. Um, I will say you spend most of your Saturday doing this. Um, and even though the library is closed to the public, you're sort of recovering. Everybody is sort of recovering. Um, you are able to spend most of your Saturday sort of casually doing this. And you are now armed to at least be looking more in the right directions. I think you track down a um, very frankly poorly put together website <laughs> it's like lots it's, it's a geocity site and like dark web geocities whatever that is dark web um, geos neo cities dark, dark web geocities um and it looks quite honestly this is something that you would totally disregard if you didn't already have reason to believe this person wasn't crazy so you find the symbol that you've been chasing and it's the only instance of the symbol that you can find on the internet and um what you deduce is that this society whatever it is is called the gatekeepers and what you had at first thought was an eye you now realize is a gate it's some sort of a rift or an opening uh-huh um superimposed on the middle of which is the world triad symbol got it so what you had presupposed was an eye probably dealing with like knowledge or like keeping tabs on things or some sort of like illuminati shit uh that's not incorrect uh-huh but you now know what they're called and you now know that this specifically has to do with like gates or rifts of some sort perhaps the rift okay. between worlds okay Perhaps, okay. indeed. Long pause for or, effect. Yeah, or even just maybe more abstract than that. Like, just, yeah. Yeah. The veil it's between basically. what is known and what is unknown. Okay, I'm just saying. There you things. go. Yeah, love it. So it isn't not an eye, but that's context that you didn't have before. Okay. Cool. <clears throat> um, would you like to know a, a partial list of membership? Like some like famous members throughout history? 
Because I feel like this kind of website would have that, yes. or at least it would have like accusations of some of the kinds of uh, of people that would have been in this illustrious membership. Yeah, right, I'm going to need second, that. Cause, give me one second, because this is a note I've had written down since literally before we started playing this game, and I'm very <laughs> excited to share it with you. I have to open that file, though, because it's a file that I also haven't used since we started this game, because my note-taking methods are um, erratic and mysterious. Very good. And again, this is information coming to you from this dark web GeoCities site. So, like, it may not be 100% correct, but you have reason to believe that, like, probably some of this is at least true. This is probably somebody who, like, was going through some wild speculation that is, like, actually more accurate than they were probably assuming. Um, all right, so notable figures who have been involved with the gatekeepers. This website uh, presupposes Amelia Earhart, Nikola Tesla, Benjamin Franklin, Socrates, Paul McCartney, Charlemagne, the third Dalai Lama, Ralph Nader, and the entire membership of popular rock band Boston. Nice. <laughs> so those are some famous possible members of the gatekeepers. Perfect. Thank you. You're welcome. So people who have some sort of, like, influence or visibility in society, um, but you also know that that's not necessarily true of every member. Right. And, you know, Mariah, I'm sure, would understand that as a secret society, in order to function, you need people in positions of power and influence, but you also probably, like, you need people who aren't going to stand out as, like, incredibly visible members of society right well right because otherwise it's not so secret now is it exactly so there you go so that's what you know um i think the downside of this is that before you can really get any more useful information um the site automatically shuts down and you can't get back to it well crap yeah all right so that's so that's that that's where we're at okay okay anything else i do not believe so Cool. Then, for the sake of expediency, shall we just assume that you all are now over at Hawks? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think the most logical place to have this meeting is probably... Um, well, it's probably the motel lobby. He's probably, like, again, closed up his business for the weekend. Most of Revenant is closed for the weekend because apparently Revenant is mostly run by, like, six people. <laughs> so, okay, it's <laughs> pretty small When you guys town, are out of commission, <laughs> it is a small town. It is not six people small, but it is small. It's pretty um, small. Yeah. So you guys are over at the motel lobby. The place has been closed, but, you know, you have all the armchairs here and everything comfortable, and you all have sort of um, established yourself here. I think... For me, I'm picturing, and you guys can tell me if you would like this to be specifically different in any way, um, but I'm assuming basically that the the sort of membership of this meeting are like the foresting party that you took out plus Ben and Riley. So Martha, Mariah, Siobhan, Ben, Riley, Adam, Zoe, and Hawk. Does that make sense? Yes. I, I don't think there would be anybody else there, really. Yeah. This is pretty much everybody who has sort of become like this core collective that's fine with me um is there any reason to have sheriff danvers there i don't i don't think so honestly okay like i don't i don't know that he is privy to or cares to be privy to the same level of supernatural information that you guys have um i think sheriff danvers is very much the kind of authority figure who is basically like, look, if I knew more, I'd have to, I'd be obligated to not let you do this. Yeah, that <laughs> so makes sense. I'd rather, I'd rather not know, um, and you guys can keep on saving the town. Okay, it's an yeah. I'd rather not know situation. Yeah, I, that's that's kind of what I'm feeling here. That's my my gut instinct for the character that I created and <laughs> control. So we're gonna trust it. <laughs> makes sense. Hey everybody, this is your Keeper speaking. Thanks so much for tuning in again to A Horror Borealis. We love being here, we love having you here, and we are so glad to share this story we're spinning. You may have noticed the content warnings this week are a bit intense, and at this point in the episode you're probably also starting to wonder why exactly that is, so I'm going to go ahead and kill the mystery for you and tell you it's right after this mid-roll. If you don't want any spoilers at all and you'd like to go in cold, feel free to hit that handy skip ahead button on your podcatcher and jump to the part where I talk about why one shot is great. You know the one. Alright, so if you're sticking around for the heads up, here's the deal. 
You're about to listen to an extended sequence which reveals a backstory involving emotionally abusive dynamics, manipulation, and gaslighting, all of which are discussed in some detail. I promise you everyone turns out okay, and we take good care of each other at this table, but it might be hard to listen to, and there's no shame at all in putting this one down for the rest of the day if you're not in a place for that. I think the episode ends on a truly beautiful note, and I hope you come there with us. But if you have to jump forward a little and catch up through context clues, there's nothing wrong with that decision. If you need spoilers in greater detail to know if this episode is safe for you, feel free to reach out on Twitter, either to the show account, which is at Borealis, or to the listener community in general. I'm sure there are folks who would love to help you out. Speaking of great communities, let's talk for just a second about the OneShot Network. Folks, OneShot is a fabulous source for games and gaming content, but so much better than that is the fact that it's a really neat community of passionate, creative, caring, and deeply motivated folks who work hard every single day to bring their visions to listeners like you. We talk a lot about financial support in these mid-rolls, and there is a good reason for that, but today I want to tell you about the ways you can support creators like us without spending any money at all. If you like our show, you can leave us a review on your platform of choice, and I'm sure that does something great to the algorithm, but I'll be honest with you and tell you I certainly don't read them. What I would love, actually, is for you to reach out today on Twitter or your other social media platform of choice and either tell your followers why you love a show you've been listening to, or tweet directly at the creators of that show to tell them what they're doing right. Better yet, go download an episode of a one-shot show you've never heard before, and then tell those showrunners that you just started listening today. I guarantee you will put the hugest smile on their faces, and maybe convert some new listeners in the process. Did I mention we have new merchandise? If you go to our Etsy store right now, or to the pinned link on our Twitter profile, you will find the gorgeous map of Revenant that Eli Kurtz illustrated so beautifully for us. It was an absolute joy to work with Eli, and watching him realize this place we've poured so much of ourselves into was really, really special. So if that sounds like something you'd like to have on your wall, I cannot recommend picking one up today highly enough. All right, I think that's about all I have for you. Hydrate before you start this last little leg of the journey. We'll be back next week with another Summer Frights episode, actually, as a bit of a palate cleanser for you, before we leap into a new and exciting arc. Siobhan fans, you're really going to get a kick out of this next one. As always, the part of Mariah Harris is played by Addison Peacock. The part of Martha Campbell is played by Tim Werner, who actually does some really beautiful incidental music on this episode. Our regular theme music is composed by Andrew Giada, who also plays the role of Siobhan O'Shaughnessy. And I'm your keeper, Alex Flanagan. Uh, thanks for listening, and enjoy the rest of the show! Bye! So, this is going to be a fairly long block of storytelling from Hawk's perspective, okay? It's going to be like, it, it's going to be a bit to get through. Um, but just so that this doesn't become like me, Alex, doing an audio drama, I do still want it to be like an interactive game. So, feel free to interject or take turns sort of like responding to this. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of exposition to get through, but I, I do still want it to be an interactive situation. So if at any point you want to, like, take the reins and experience, like, maybe a flashback that you're having in response to a part of the story or a reaction that you're experiencing, or if you want to describe some external way in which, like, your character is visually responding in order to sort of help me set the scene, um, the way that you're interacting with other people listening, or if you want to, like, interrupt me and ask how other characters are responding and sort of read the room, like, that's all totally fair game. Okay. okay, thank you. So don't feel like Alex is talking, I can't interrupt her, but I'm really curious about a thing. Like, feel free to ask me questions, or feel free to have people in the room ask questions. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I feel like that's become my new catchphrase on this show. <laughs> For a long time it was as a fan of your characters, and now it's just, does that make sense? Because I never know if what I'm talking about is, Does that know. make sense? Well, I mean, also, you're working with us, Alex. <laughs> I just want to make sure I'm continuously clarifying, because I get out a lot of words per minute, and very few of them are easy to parse. Okay.
So you guys all find yourself in the lobby of Hawk's Motel, and there's a bit of, I think, agitated energy in the room, because you all know why it is that you're here, and that is sort of an elephant in the room, but also the reason why you are gathered, so it's hard not to acknowledge it. There's probably a little bit of, like, awkward conversation while you're waiting for other people to get there, but this is not something that really anybody involved is going to be late to. Right. So you're not waiting long. And I think once you all are gathered, um, there's just sort of this tense silence for a couple of minutes as Hawk, uh, probably finishes, like, brewing himself a mug of tea or something and then sits down, uh, and begins his story. He says, I'm going to tell you my story the best that I can. It's a story even that I don't have all the pieces of, and I hope by the time it's through you'll forgive me for keeping the parts I do have secret for so long. There were times, so many times, I wanted to explain, but when your entire life is built on secrets, pulling even one stone out of that foundation can bring down horrible consequences on the people inside. I was born in Revenant, on the same piece of land my mother's family has lived and died on for years beyond counting. I never had siblings, and my father died before I was old enough to remember him, but my mother was an incredible woman. Incredible and sad. Like her, I was born with abilities and sensitivities beyond the normal human scope. And because of that, she taught me things from a very early age. Things that I needed to understand myself and the world, but things that a young boy has no business knowing. Things I couldn't tell anyone else. She taught me about magic, but she also taught me about the people who guard it. A secret society encompassing the span of the earth, keeping vigil over the kind of power that rules the destiny of societies and governments and humankind itself. Protecting a power too great and unpredictable to ever fall into singular sets of hands. They're called the gatekeepers, and long before I ever had a say in choosing that future for myself, I became one. I had no choice, and neither did they. I knew too much. But that is a heavy burden for a young boy to bear. It had been drilled into me that so much of what I knew and accepted about the world as truth could never be revealed to another soul, and for fear of accidentally letting any of that slip, I figured it was best to let nothing slip at all. I was a grave and serious child. A loner. All throughout my school days, I consciously avoided friendships for fear of betraying somehow some enormous secret. But I was human. And I was lonely. And there was another boy, a bit of a loner himself, who sought me out. He befriended me, despite my inhibitions. He was clever, and he asked all the right questions, and respected when I felt that I couldn't answer. For a while, at least. Nobody else trusted Phil, and at the time I felt that meant he was the only person I could trust. At the mention of his name, Mariah shifts in her seat. Mm-hmm. Just kind of uncomfortably. I never meant to tell him anything. I certainly never meant to tell him everything, but... He was brilliant, and he pieced together more from my silence than I could have helped. And by the time he had enough pieces of the puzzle, he confronted me with all of them and demanded to be a part of it. He wanted to become a gatekeeper, and... You have to understand how tempting that was for me. I saw how lonely it was for my mother, how hard and quiet she was, bearing this burden alone with no one but her son to share in this life of secrets. I desperately wanted a companion. A confidant. So I agreed to help him. And I convinced the members of our order who needed convincing, and he was initiated. And that was the beginning of the end of our friendship. As soon as he had access to all the information he had wanted, I was nothing but an obstacle to him. At first, he flowed with enthusiasm to be a part of this grand secret together, partaking of forbidden knowledge so many others had mocked him for pursuing. But he grew paranoid. 
Soon he felt we couldn't trust the order itself, and when I became hesitant to agree with him, he felt he couldn't trust me. He felt there were secrets I had, powers I was keeping from him. Magic came so easily to me, and he had no natural ability for it, and for that, he hated me. He began to shut himself off, and I thought it was best to let him. I had lost my only friend, or rather, the only person I had thought was my friend. He began locking himself more and more frequently in the library, then vanishing from town on mysterious errands I couldn't and admittedly wouldn't track. I wrote it off as eccentricity. I, I thought it best to wait, thinking he would come around again. Until one day I got a visitor I wasn't expecting. A young woman from Fairbanks with a keychain bearing the symbol of the gatekeepers and a tortured expression. She introduced herself as Isabel, and she told me Phil had taken her in as his protege, found her, trained her, taught her, given her enough knowledge about the gatekeepers they had no choice but to accept her into their ranks, but never quite enough to question him. And then, when she had ceased to prove blindly loyal, when she'd become an obstacle instead of a tool, he abandoned her, and she had no one left. <laughs> I didn't want to hear any of it. I didn't want to believe it, even knowing everything I knew about Phil, even having watched the same cycle of paranoia and pride and anger play out adjacent to my own life, I couldn't believe this was the man I had once trusted. I couldn't believe I was somehow responsible. I couldn't accept any of it. I listened, and I offered her a room to stay in before her drive back to Fairbanks, but I wasn't willing to risk anything I believed to believe her. And she knew it. I failed her. But I was able to ignore that fact until... until I suddenly noticed Mariah. A smart, savvy loner of a young woman working at the library, priding herself on trusting no one except the one person encouraging her not to trust anyone else. And I knew I'd already failed again. I confronted Phil, but even as I went in with all the testimony and evidence to support the reality that this man was a monster, I was still somewhere looking for an excuse, any excuse, to believe it wasn't true. To believe that my oldest and only friend really had ever been my friend. I told him everything I'd found out, every instance of wrongdoing I could reasonably pinpoint. And he laughed at me. He shook his head and asked me why on earth a grown man with access to all of the world's most vital and secretive information at his fingertips would have any need for a sidekick. Why the approval of a young woman would mean anything to him. He called me paranoid dismissed it as small minds in small towns, making up wild fictions to twist the facts. He said if I had a problem with it, I ought to start by looking at my own employees. Of course, it's easy to see now that all of that is as good as an admission of guilt, but my own conscience was so burdened that I accepted it. I fired Zoe, who was working for me at the time. I buried all notions of suspicion deep within my mind and went about business as usual. All seeing as I was, I turned a blind eye. The last time I saw or spoke to Phil, he was barely recognizable. He was even more suspicious and unpredictable than I'd ever seen him before. He showed up on my doorstep in the middle of the night, making vague threats and wild outbursts, saying that this was my last chance to let him in on whatever I'd been keeping from him. I didn't know what he was talking about. I tried to reason with him, but he was implacable. Until just before the end of his visit, when he went strangely calm and said something that stuck in my mind. The only person I can trust is myself, so the only one who can wield it is me. I'll make sure of it. And then he smiled and left. In the morning, he was gone from town. You doing okay? Mm-hmm. Do you need a minute? 
No, I'd like to play through it if I can. Sure. That first year, I don't think I slept more than two hours at a time. I was always watching my back. I hid protective amulets around the town, watched all information pertaining to Alaska nearly 24-7. I let even the surface-level connections I had fade and dissolve, terrified that any association with me would be inviting danger and suspicion. But nothing happened. Not that year or the next, and finally I began to relax. He had no reason to return to Revenant. Or so I thought. Until several months ago, Martha, when you happened, totally by accident, to read my mind. I was shocked and horrified. I, I wanted nothing more than for you to stop using your powers and stay away from any trouble they invited. I thought the best thing I could do for you was to avoid giving you any information that would put you in danger. But all of it has amounted to just another set of mistakes from a foolish old man. I failed all of you so spectacularly. But now, all my cards are on the table. If you don't trust me, I can't blame you. But you, all of you, have a chance to set things right. And I want to help in any way that I can. He sits back in his chair and holds his mug between his hands and doesn't meet anyone's eyes. And that's his story. Y'all doing okay? Yeah. I'm just trying to think of what Martha would do in this situation. Yeah, same. I'm trying to think of what Martha would do also. Because <laughs> <laughs> to be completely honest, right now I... I um... This is not even just Addison. See, this is the problem with when I get into stuff like this is I don't really know where the line is right now um, between yeah. the the beings. Um, I I don't know. I can't imagine Mariah has anything to offer right now because for somebody whose notion of reality and uh, what what is and what is not and what is possible and impossible is often constantly in flux and deliberately so uh this is mm -hmm. um the most her worldview and and her the only the the, sol the solid bits of her conception of the world have ever been um shaken and shaken against her will as opposed yeah. to through seeking out disruption and uh right it's and it is devastating i think probably from about halfway through that story um zoe wherever else she was in the room moved over to you and made to hold your hand mm -hmm. if that's okay with mariah it is she also feels a little bad uh on a lighter note because one of the reasons she never liked talk much is because he fired her best friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's complicated. She was always she always thought he was a real jerk for that. <laughs> Zoe was saving yeah, up I to buy a car. Oh. Oh no. Oh no. Yeah, I think I think probably at the moment that um, Hawk explains why he fired Zoe, I think she probably flipped him off. <laughs> <laughs> no. I like that. Of course she did. Oh, uh, you know, between the tears. <laughs> between the tears, indeed. Oh. I'm so upset for her. Yeah. So I think after, like, a moment of just sitting in complete silence, um, Martha turns over to Hawk and... Um, mm hmm just asks him so you're saying that Phil is the one that we encountered out in the forest that's the only conclusion I can come to I think that he's in the pursuit of raw magical energy and has had the chance to study it now in isolation for over five years I don't know what he's capable of now, but 
that close to a source and with nothing but time on his hands, it doesn't bode well. So how do we... So how do we stop this? How do we stop something like this? I wish I knew. I've never encountered anything like this situation in my life. I I don't even know that there's a historical record of it. My first thought is to kind of destroy the source, but then that would be putting nature at like an imbalance basically you know just when (laughs) quick clarification from the keeper yeah when you say destroy the source are you talking about this human man or are you talking about no no no. i was was basically saying like weakening that source of magic where he's drawing his power from okay yeah, gotcha. no, no. that makes Let's more just sense. destroy this. That man. sounds more sense than the really clinical phrasing of "we need to destroy the source." Sorry. <laughs> oh man, um, I was troubled by Martha for a moment. Yeah, I'm. By you know, I'm always, I'm always a little bit troubled calm. by Martha. Yeah, really. Yeah, by just the very calm sort of. Well, it seems like the logical thing to do is destroy the source. <laughs> Oh, man. Yikes. No, Martha was thinking Um, the uh, source of power that he's drawing from, but then is also considering how that would affect, I mean, the world. Yeah, I think... I think magic is a force which cannot be created or destroyed. Magic is a force which can be channeled, and magic is a force which responds in sometimes unpredictable ways to the forces enacted upon it. I think there is sort of a crucial element here that I need you guys as players to realize, because I don't know that the players or the characters have put together these particular elements yet in the story. And I think now with this information, you might be able to. So a key part of the way that magic works Mm -hmm. in this world and this beautiful fiction that I've spun for all of you from my hands and heart, you're welcome. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Uh Part of the way it works is that magic is driven through empathy and is itself inherently empathetic. So like when you have a water source in one place, right, and somebody draws from that water source irresponsibly or maybe in a way that then contributes pollution into the source... Anybody else who draws from that source is getting polluted, right? Yeah, that makes oh, sense. Oh, Jesus. So in that same way, magic works similarly. Somebody who taps into like a raw magical energy source and does so with ill intent in mind or does so with a like from a particular headspace, I guess, or like with a really strong emotional energy, mm-hmm. that influences the magic itself Mm -hmm. so martha part of the reason why you have had such intense reactions that have been increasing lately is because the magic source you're drawing from is being polluted right oh my god yes so that's significant because you don't really know of anybody else except now you do using the magic in the way that you are in this area part of what is so significant about the gates of the arctic specifically as one of the major magic sources in the world is that because it's such a sparsely populated area this magic is some of the most raw magic in the world magic in a lot of other places exists and has already been sort of like processed a whole bunch of times and has specific characteristics that are sort of inherent to it now but that's not true in the gates of the arctic The magic there is pretty much just, like, pure magic. So, like, it doesn't take a lot to shape it in a particular way. And so it going fairly unused for a long time and then having this person in the last few years who has drawn from it with ill intent is now causing reactions in you that are growing stronger, presumably because he's tapping more and more into the magic that he's using. And so you are experiencing the effects of that. So that's kind of 
that's a retroactive answer to another thing that's been happening in the lore, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's another mystery to check off the list. Well done, everyone. <laughs> Y'all did great today. Huh. Yeah. I'm here and I'm, I'm taking in the information. I'm just, um... Yeah, no, I understand. Take as much time as you need. Little, this is a lot. I'm a little tapped out. <laughs> I definitely understand. So if we end up using the magic in more of a, uh, or I guess like a more responsible way, um, mm-hmm. will that essentially clean it for lack of better words? Boy, that sure would suit my ecological metaphor nicely, wouldn't it? Yeah. I suppose. <laughs> um, I this think is it's not more, uh, shut down the chemical plant dumping pollution into the water. <laughs> it can be multiple things. Um, th- we don't necessarily need to solve that part of the mystery just yet. This is a lot of information to take in. This doesn't necessarily need to become like a retaliation meeting right away. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you guys want it to be, that's fine. But I would kind of like the characters in this world mm-hmm. to have some time to think. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I agree. I would like for them to have some time to process. I agree. And I think we need to talk okay. to Isabel, too. Yeah. Definitely. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I'm okay. 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 <laughs> Maybe okay will be our always. Okay. Yeah. Maybe okay will be our always. Do you want to stop here and roll the next few things I have into our next game session or are we okay with playing out a few more short scenes? I'm okay with going on. If I'm being completely honest I would kind of like to stop. Would you like to give Mariah maybe a happier end cap to this? Yeah. Okay. I think at the conclusion of this meeting um, you guys maybe start to ask a few questions and then I think um I think that Adam looks over at Mariah and says, all right, come on, kid. We're getting you home. And you're not my dad. Effectively. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he smirks and says, fine, then we're getting you to your girlfriends. <laughs> that was Addison, but sure, maybe it was Mariah too. Where's the line anymore? <laughs> Where does one um, end okay. and the other begin? Okay. So... Does Mariah want to go to her own home, or would you uh, want to? I think she wants to be by herself right now. Okay, understandable. Um, is there any sort of conversation that you want to have with Adam on your way home, or are you just kind of not in a place to talk? Which I totally mm-hmm. understand. I think maybe, uh, I think as they're driving... Um, there's just that sort of mutually respectful silence betwixt the two of them. And then definitely I, uh, had a, an idea just now. I, uh, I like to think by, I like to think, I mean that I'm now saying this is happening. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like to think, uh, as they're driving the, uh, the inviting, uh, pastel neon colors of, uh, Big Billy's diner sign begin to appear uh-huh. uh, on the horizon or in the distance and, um, approach them and Mariah says stop the car <laughs> <laughs> okay he does so carefully because one of his arms is in a cast yes I understand and I respect that um, he stops the car and it's at the diner and uh, Mariah gets out of the car um, mm-hmm. and uh, says I, I got it from here uh, goes inside sits down in a corner booth and waits for Billy to bring her a piece of coconut cream pie. I love it.
Um, is there anything that Siobhan or Martha desperately need to resolve right now? Or is there anything we need to do in order for you guys to feel good with ending this here? I think, uh, I think I'm good. Okay. Tim? Yeah, I think Martha's good, too. Um, okay. Just... Is Tim good? Yeah, yeah. It's important that both Martha and Tim are good. Yeah, Tim's good. 